You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis. Uh, we're just going to dive in. There's a lot of news, old friend alerts and the like, uh, trying to get us caught up on the weekend fully. We haven't even gotten to the ESPN uh, third base. Eventually, maybe we'll get there. But let's just start diving into some of the news. So the Indians sent three more players off of roster to the minor league camp. David Hernandez, the recently added pitcher. Uh, Bo Taylor, the catcher, who's going to stay with the Indians for now, but he knows he has not made the final team. And Daniel Johnson. Daniel Johnson just got caught up in a numbers game with as well as Bradley Zimmer is playing. That takes him down to 34. I think one of those spots comes down to how healthy is Jordan Luplo if he is healthy and ready to go. Then Greg Allen probably starts off roster. If he is not, I think that Greg Allen stays up. I think that's one of those situations we'll have to look at the bullpen and how that continues to develop. James Hoyt has been a little bit inconsistent. He might end up down. Uh, we'll see, but basically they need to get four more guys off of the roster the way it is right now. One of the infielders, at least one of the pitchers, and likely one of the outfielders. I, I think we'll probably see two pitchers go, an infielder and an outfielder, so it just comes down to that game. You're looking at Allen or Luplo, and then I think you're probably looking at Chang or Arroyo, and then we'll look at that pitching staff and have to go from there, but it's getting close, and Thursday is when the season starts. You'll listen to this on Wednesday, so it needs to get close, but uh, yeah, no, that is one bit of news. Uh, Last week, I reported the signing of Yasiel Puig, old friend alert. Turns out Yasiel Puig has COVID, so he did not sign with the Braves. (laughs) That is one less player, uh, you know, to talk about in terms of former Indians. Still out there if he gets healthy. Some other former friend alert. Uh, Josh Tomlin and Yonder Alonzo were both added to the Braves 40-man roster. Alonzo is kind of the fallback for them in case uh, Freeman doesn't recover as quickly as they hoped. And Tomlin pitched decent for them a year ago. I was kind of surprised to see that he wasn't on the roster. You know, he was worth one win coming out of the pen continued to not walk anyone, continued to not miss bats, continued to give up a lot of home runs. But compared to, you know, the spike he had in 2018, which was far and away his worst season as a major leaguer, he was solid. He wasn't great, but he was useful and appeared in 79 innings for Atlanta. So I was kind of surprised he wasn't already added to their staff. Uh, How about the Rockies, speaking of old friends? They went out and spent all that money on Brian Shaw and Jake McGee, and they're releasing both of them. Uh, I believe they're both in the last year of their three-year deals. Um, Wade Davis was another big signing. And it's kind of crazy, because when you think about the Rockies, they went out and spent those all that money on those three guys. Then they let their best reliever, Adam Odovino, walk uh, instead of signing him. And Scott Oatberg, I believe is how you say his name, was their top reliever last year. He is hurt. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Rockies do this year. Uh, Brian Shaw is a name to keep in mind. We know that Tito likes him. He's used to him. He has uh, an affinity for Shaw. He really struggled against righties, and he actually pitched better at home than on the road. So we'll have to see what happens with Shaw. I would not be shocked, though, if after he clears if uh, Shaw ends up in Cleveland in some form or another because of the connections, because of how much we know um, he was liked by Tito Francona manager. Uh, Jules Chassen let go by the Twins. Another guy who spent some time with the Cleveland Indians, Anthony Swarzak, released by the Phillies. 
Indians guy, uh, Walter Lockett, who the Indians had very briefly on their 40-man before they flipped him to the Mets last year for, uh, I believe, that's when how they got Kevin P. was placed on the injured list. Uh, George Contos retires, who had been in the Indians minors for a time as a lefty. And while he is not a player who's played with the Indians, he is still a local guy. The Reds released Eric Dietrich. Uh, if you only paid attention to half the season a year ago, that might be amazing to you. He was awesome in the first half and then just imploded in the second half. I'm not sure there's a player who had a bigger dispar- disparity in terms of first and second half performance than Dietrich. He plays a lot of positions, doesn't play any of them well, doesn't play any of them average, plays them all badly. Uh, makes it hard to figure out uh, exactly what you would do with him if you're a team that signs him. But uh, again, as the local kid, you know his uh, grandfather was the return in the Norm Cash deal. I talked about that on the podcast. I believe he is uh, an Ignatius kid. Uh, every time he gets released, uh, there's a push to add him, and it has been forever since we've had a Northeastern Ohioan play for the Indians. So we had to at least talk about that. Uh, Justin Grimm, another guy who spent some time in the Indians minors, uh, was very good for the um, why am I blanking for the Cubs? But was with the Indians, was it last year that he was in the Indians minors? I feel like it was. I could be totally wrong on that. He's going to make the Brewers team this year to, out of camp. Uh, and then in terms of players opting out, we have to add another to the list. Uh, Colin McHugh, who had signed with the Red Sox for this year, is opting out of this season. Uh, there was also some thought that he wasn't fully healthy and he was going to miss some time already because of that. So he is sitting out, then it gives the Red Sox one less guy who could potentially start for them. And that's kind of where we are on Indians-related stuff. Uh, we're in a situation where the Indians like to make us wait. A lot of other teams are kind of releasing their numbers, letting things uh, start to filter out. Uh, you'll listen to this Wednesday morning. Maybe something will have come out by then. But as of now, that is what we know about the Indians. As stated, they're at 34. They will get down to 30 in preparation for Thursday's game. But stick around. On the second half of the show, we're going to talk about an interesting player who's designated for assignment that the Indians should maybe consider looking at. We're going to talk about a trade that I didn't get a chance to talk about over the weekend that involves a division rival. And if we have time, we will finally talk about those third base ranks from ESPN. So let's talk about a pair of moves, as I mentioned before. The first one involves the Reds letting Scott, I always say his name wrong, Shepler. They wanted to keep Brooks Raley, who had pitched for the Cubs, and then I believe went to Korea. Gives him another left-handed arm. And Shepler had fallen behind. You know, they went and added a lot of players in free agency. And he was behind guys like Arrestus Aquino, uh, Phil Irvin, Nick Senzel, who were, you know, kind of the the other group behind just the Jess Winglers and the Shogo uh, Akiyamas and the Nick Castillas. Shepler stands out because two years ago he hit 30 home runs, right? Might have been three years ago. Uh, I've always been a fan of his dating back to when he was a prospect with the Dodgers. He was never considered a top prospect. He was always a production over tools guy, and I always favor those types. Um, The issue with Shepler just comes down to he doesn't have good on-base skills. He can club it if you were worried about the fact that, oh, you know, well, he's playing Cincinnati, that's a hitter's park. His adjusted numbers, uh, when you look, not even adjusted, just numbers, is actually better on the road than he was at home in terms of production. And he actually has pretty even right-handed or left-handed splits, which is useful to see. He's about average in both areas. He's not a great upgrade, and last year he was awful. He was absolutely atrocious. 
there was not a lot of reasons for any team to consider adding him based off of 2019. But if you're a team that needs an outfielder, uh, might be worth trying to bring into camp. The Indians are not that team. For once, they're pretty loaded in outfield, nor do they need the right-handed bat that Shebler would be. As I stated, he actually hits righties pretty decently over his career. Uh, but we'll have to... I'm sorry, he's a left-handed bat. I messed that up. He's a left-handed bat. He throws right-handed. Uh, but he's, for once, the Indians. I, I wouldn't take a flyer. Like, normally, I would advocate that. But still, kind of a name to know. A few years ago, Shepler and Duvall were kind of uh, central to that young, uh, interesting core in pieces. And now, here we are. Uh, both are gone. And then the trade that manifested over the weekend that I have to talk about was uh, the Padres have decided to trade away their entire outfield from last year, getting rid of their final piece, Franchi Cordero, along with an interesting uh, pitcher and Ronald Bolanos going to the the Royals for Tim Hill. Uh, now they have a lot of control with Hill, and he's been an effective lefty against or effective reliever. He is a lefty against both left-handed uh, and right-handed hitters in his career. And they get, as I said, they get a lot of control there. But it felt like a high price for a guy who's been a good but not great reliever. And I say a high price because Franchi Cordero, who they gave up, has the tools to be an above-average to plus player. Can he stay healthy? Can he uh, cut down on some of the strikeouts, get on base a little bit more? We'll have to see. But he's no worse than a fourth outfielder. And Bolanos could end up being a better reliever than Hill. Uh, it's not a bad trade, but I thought, I mean, I just preferred what the Royals did, especially uh, when A.J. Preller was talking about the deal for Tim Hill. He talked about how he was going to step in for Jose Castillo, who's going to miss five to six weeks as a lefty in the pen for them. But they went out and signed Drew Pomeranz to be, you know, out of the pen, who's a lefty. They already have Matt Strom, who they also got from Kansas City. So he's their third lefty out of the pen. Uh, you know, it's... They have other bigger needs, and having traded away Manuel Margot, uh, Hunter Renfro, and then Fran Mil Reyes last year, and now Franchi Cordero, that's like every outfielder they had in camp uh, a year ago. And, I mean, just when you look at the, the raw stuff for Tim Hill, I know people look at the 5.3 ERA, and that's not great, but 70 innings, or 70 games, but 45 innings. So he was still mostly a situational guy. Uh, the home run to fly a ball rate is uh, something that I look at that feels a little high for me. But the FIP is good mid-threes. He should be effective. I'm not arguing anything other than that. But an effective reliever for two pieces, it, it just felt rich. And after all of those trades, yes, they, they added uh, Tommy Pham. They went out and got Trent Grisham in their first deal with the Brewers. And those two are definitely out there. So is right field Will Myers. That's, he's not very good defensively. Uh, is you're maybe a Jake Cronworth, Greg Garcia? It, they're actually at a point where I don't know who is the choice for them in the outfield. Like, who do you like in the outfield for them? And they already have a weakness at second base to begin with. Uh, Eric Hosmer is not a good first baseman. They're paying him a lot. You're hoping Josh Naylor maybe steps up as a DH. It's not a great lineup. You know, Grish, Grisham had a really good year last year. There's a lot of reasons to think he's improving after kind of slowing down in the minors up until last year. But it's it's a short track record. And we'll see how he recovers from 
you know, his misplay in the postseason. Some guys, that stuff haunts forever. And, you know, yeah, they're paying Machado a lot. Tatis was fantastic a year ago. Tommy Pham is always good. But the rest of that lineup, you know, I talked about Hosmer, Myers, Naylor, Profar. Francisco Mejia still hasn't really shown he can be anything yet a catcher. He's still kind of the same dude he was in the minors with Cleveland, which is, yeah, he has a potential plus hit tool, but there's not a lot of power and there's not a lot of walks. He doesn't have a lot around that tool. So you need him to hit enough to make that tool work. And I I don't know if he's going to get there. And then defensively, he's never going to be great. So we'll see. He walked 5% of the time last year with a 23% strikeout rate. I was never high on Mejia, and everyone who listens to this podcast knows that. So we will see. I just thought that was interesting. I thought it was another high price. I feel like when you go through it, it's looking at a lot of analytical pieces. Preller has made a ton of deals, and almost every single one of them has been uh, high. He's given up a lot of value where it typically feels that he is overpaying, that he is the one giving up the highest amount of value in these deals. And I don't know if anyone can really get fired after a 60-game season. We'll have to see. We know the pressure is on Preller and that he could be replaced. Uh, I think it would be odd to fire anyone after this odd year. But maybe he's feeling that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see because they still have so many interesting pitchers on that team and in those minors that are just on the cusp with Gore and Patino. Uh, or, you know, I probably said his name wrong. Let's be honest. My pronunciation is always terrible. But... More John, uh, Taylor Trammell, maybe they're counting on getting to the majors and helping this year. Louis uh, Camposano, we definitely saw his value kind of going up. So we'll see. It's uh, it's an odd team making odd moves. Uh, the only other thing I could see is that, uh, you know, Andres Munoz, who a lot of people were really big fans of, uh, he's on the 45-day DL. He's going to be out for a while. And Jorge Mateo, who I liked that deal, that acquisition from the Athletics, another kind of under-the-radar deal. But the problem there is is he tested positive for COVID, so it's going to be a while before he shows up to camp. But, yeah, we are going to have to just kind of wait and see what it comes to with a lot of these teams. Uh, I mean, everyone in that division is trying, right, except for the Giants. I mean, the Diamondbacks are definitely trying. The Rockies still seem to be trying. The Padres, they're going to be trying. The Dodgers probably your World Series favorite if I were to guess now and go look at the the betting line. But that's uh, just wanted to talk about that. Trades are always fun. It's always interesting to look at. You know, the Padres are a team that come up when we discuss the idea of Lindor deals. Padres fans are very thirsty for Francisco Lindor. Uh, let's just be honest there. They, they want to make that move to kind of fire back uh, after the Dodgers' big move this year. So let's talk about these third base ranks with what we have left. Let's finally get to this. So Jose Ramirez was rated ninth amongst first basemen. And the guys ahead of him, let's just start at one and go down. Bregman, Rendon, Arenado, Chapman. I don't think there's any debate that he could really, right now, in that group. Then you have Donaldson and Chris Bryant. Uh, Rafael Devers in Boston. And then Eugenio Suarez, who's with the Reds. And here's the thing. Those guys are all really good. Uh, That's not a weak list. There's not anyone where I sit back and I go, oh, um, you know, it's so much so that I think I talked about Manny Machado wasn't even ranked. He doesn't make the top 10. Uh, I can't remember who was 10th, who was the last guy to make it. So why is Jose Ramirez 9th? And why do I still have Jose Ramirez concerns? He was awesome 
for part of last year, but the problem was that was part of last year. He was also not good for a large chunk of last year, and then he was hurt, and he came back, and remember his injury was a broken handmate bone. Those often zap power. Uh, he came back and did hit for power in his short time back last year, so maybe it won't affect him. And in spite of the up and down season, he was still good for 3.4 uh, baseball reference war. If I go and pull up his splits though, you know, the month by month in 2019 and 2018, remember, did not end well. He was at almost like a full season of poor play. His uh, that's first half, his OPS was a 652, 218 batting average, 308 on base, 344 slugging. Second half, 327 batting average, 365 on base, 732 slugging, uh, 1.105 OPS. So he was night and day. He was well below average, and then he was one of the best bats in baseball. So what are we going to see? Which version is that going to be? Uh, we hope it's more the second one, and if it is the second one, then he probably needs to be higher on this list. I just don't know where you put him. One can make a case that Bregman is the favorite entering the year for the AL MVP. Rendon's probably a little high. I don't think he's actually worth that number two spot. I feel like that is some post-World Series inflation. Arenado... Chapman, yeah. Uh, Chapman's defense alone helps escalate him, uh, not to mention the power potential. We've seen what Arenado can do. Uh, I think you could probably argue Jose Ramirez for one of the top four spots. You can make an argument that when he was truly on, that he was better than Bregman. So we'll have to see. It's an odd placement just in regards that he could easily be higher, he could easily be lower, and you could make an argument for either case. You could talk about what he did in the second half and what he had done in previous years, or you could talk about the first half and the end of 2018 to say there are some concerns. I am curious to see uh, if there is any sapping of the power after that handmate bone injury. Typically when those get broken, just like the way it's connected in your hand, it takes a full year to fully recover, so we'll have to pay attention to that. And, you know, if everything works, he's going to be one of the, what, I think he's batting second in the Indians lineup. You know, I talked about my concerns about Tito trying to spread around the switch hitters. Well, he said he's not. It's going to be the four switch hitters at the top of the lineup. So that's, you know, Cesar, Lindor, J-Ram, and Santana. And I believe he already said Lindor is going to be three, Santana four, J-Ram two. Uh, So he's going to get those opportunities. When he is on, he, in the past, has been a better hitter than Francisco Lindor. What he does in the box has made him the Indians' most dangerous hitter when they're both on. He has just such a complete game, better on-base skills, uh, hits for a higher average. may not have as much raw pop as Lindor, but other than that, uh, he hasn't beaten most areas. Gets a little bit underrated because of what Lindor does, but, you know, Ramirez being ninth is interesting. He's a hard player to rank just because of, like I said, first half, well below average, second half, well above average. Also interesting, hit better on the road last year. And if we were just looking at his uh, splits, he he did okay against lefties, but he was much better against righties. Not much, but he was better against righties, I should say. We're just going to see. He's one of my big question marks for this year. Maybe the biggest when it comes to the Indians outside of you know the whole indoor situation, just because which... JRM are we going to get? We're going to get a more consistent one who doesn't have the peaks and the valleys. Are we going to get one who is more like the first half, more like the second half? What's up with this power? How is he going to 
you know, react when inevitably, you know, Lindor, who I feel like he is friends with, gets traded. Uh, we're going to have to see. This is going to be an odd, odd year for so many reasons. Jose Ramirez, uh, you know, he signed that extremely ridiculously team-friendly contract a few years ago to the Indians' benefit. Um, if nothing else, that contract had to make it very easy for Lindor to be like, see, that is why you don't sign contracts. That is why you play to free agency and get paid as quickly as possible. Because now Ramirez is going to get paid, vastly underpaid for a few years with uh, the Cleveland Indians. I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, it's been a news and notes and all that fun stuff type of show. Uh, if we do get to a point where I have a day where there's not a ton to talk about, I will insert that interview that is promised between me and my father talking about baseball. Until then, by the time this is up and you listen to it, we're going to be at like a little over the 24-hour Mark Toe Baseball. That's exciting in and of itself. So, yeah, it's right on the horizon. We'll have, I am sure, some more roster things to talk about on tomorrow's show. But I've been Jeff Ellis. You've been a fantastic crowd, as always. And remember, go Tribe.